Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth from Madrona Financial and CPAs, where we give you the straight talk and honest answers you need to reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade. I'm just here to ask the questions, but you know that the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. How you doing today, Brian? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to hear it, Brian. I hope our listeners are doing well, too. And Brian, we can't do a show without talking about the market and the economy. So let's talk a little bit about where we are today. Where are we with the economy? Where are we with the market? Midterms behind us. And I'll just let you take it from there. Yeah, I was just looking at, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about on this show is how the traditional 60-40 stock bond or bond stock split that most financial advisors propose as the end-all be-all investment strategy for their clients, that it didn't work in 2022. So I was looking at some of the components and on any given day, this will change. So I'll give you a range. So I I looked at the aggregate bond market, the U.S. aggregate bond market, because that's the often the 40% essentially. Then I compare that to emerging foreign markets, developed foreign markets, the S&P 500, the total U.S. stock uh, index, and then the NASDAQ. And the best of that group, I mean, that, that kind of covers it. I mean, yeah. the total stock market, yeah. the total bond market, the entire world stocks and the NASDAQ, the best of those did not beat a negative 15% year-to-date return when I looked, on the day I looked. The worst of them was close to 30 to the negative, and that was the NASDAQ. And the NASDAQ, uh, we might take some time on the show even to talk about the NASDAQ further, but that's all the, the really companies that people think, well, gosh, they're the leaders of industry. They're Tesla and Microsoft and Google and Amazon and, you know, all these companies that that we all think kind of drive the market, which they have in recent years. But this year, they're driving it the wrong direction. (laughs) They they didn't about about face a U-turn and go in the other direction. So any mix of 60-40 when everything in there is between 15 to 30 percent loss is going to get you a between 15 and 30% average. And so if that's the only tools that you're using for your investment returns, it occurs to me, this has not been a very good year. You might have lost your average. You might have lost an entire fifth mm. of your 401k plan. You worked 30 years, you just lost six years, basically. I mean, that'd be a fifth. Yeah. And so that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. And I think there is a lot of people out there going, well, wait a second, this is not working. What I plan doing is not working because, yeah, I, I thought my diversification would save me. And it didn't. And primarily because of the bond market. You know, we just have to rethink things. I mean, just a review of those mixes. I even, you know, throw in the global bond market. And I just had the U.S. bond market also uh, worse than 15% year to date. So there wasn't anywhere to hide if you're doing stocks and bonds on uh, on a broad diversified level. And so anybody with those as their only components, and, and I got, you know, one of the disappointing things about 401k plans is that's pretty much all you get to choose from. Often you just have broad market stock indexes, you have broad market bond indexes, you have company stock and cash. And that's pretty much it. You don't have a lot of alternatives to the investments. So uh, state of the markets, including the bond market, which is bigger than the stock market, right. is not awesome in 2022. Brian, you had mentioned some alternatives to uh, what is typically in the 401k. What are some of those other alternatives that people might want to consider beyond the uh, average stuff that we've just been talking about? Well, I'll run down a list of fixed annuities, fixed indexed annuities, which offer a, a greater upside without the chance of loss on the downside. Uh, universal life policies as an asset class. Uh, there's premium finance, universal life, uh, Delaware statutory trust, private non-traded equity REITs, private non-traded debt REITs, structured notes, buffered ETFs, interval funds. There are a lot of different areas to invest in. Virtually everyone I just named off, you can't even invest in by yourself. You, you right. have to go through a financial advisor. 
And so that's one of the reasons, you know, of all the you know reasons, uh, there's pros and cons to everything. Not everybody needs a financial advisor. Most people do, I would say, that they have significant assets. And so one of the things about, you know, on the, on the plus side of hiring a financial advisor is they have access to this stuff. That on the negative side, most of them do not use any of the things that I just mentioned. They just keep it to the stock and bond portfolio. And so if, if that's all they're doing, then I don't know, the, the value add was probably, you're probably not feeling the love uh, this year in 2022. Right. If that's all you had was stock and bond mix and maybe within your 401k and then outside of your 401k or you've hired a financial advisor and you go, well, you just put me in the same stuff, uh, 60-40 stock bond split. And I'm not, yeah, I'm not feeling the love because I, I again, I just lost six, you know, six years of my 30 years mm-hmm. uh, equivalency in my retirement plan. And I was thinking about retiring and I'm, I'm 20% down and I'm not feeling too good about that. And, and I hear this Brian guy talk about there's other areas you can go in that are not correlated to the stock and bond market that would have served me better in 2022. If someone has just stocks and bonds in their 401k, Brian, and they do want to diversify a little bit, would you recommend or let me just ask you this? I mean, how would you handle that? Would you maybe put less money into the 401k, more money into these other alternative investments to move forward? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, if you're 59 and a half and have a standard 401k plan or equivalent, you generally can roll that over into an IRA. The IRA can be managed by a financial advisor that has access to all the things I just mentioned, and you can even out your portfolio that way. Uh, if you if you have, you can get into anything uh, essentially I just mentioned pretty much, except for the universal life. That's done with non-qualified money instead of qualified or IRA type money. And so, yeah, there's a ton you can do there. You can also, uh, I've had people, I, I remember this one uh, meeting I had and they said, yeah, we, you know, we're, we're thinking about retiring, but we don't have very much money put away because we had to put our kids through college and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And we just started putting money into our 401k. We made, we've made really good money though, but we don't have much put away. And I said, well, do you have any other investments? And he was like, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, he said, we maxed out the 401k. That's all we can do. I said, well, you know, you can invest outside of your 401k plan. And then he just looked at me like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we just spent the money because (laughs) we thought we were maxed out on how we can invest. Mm. (laughs) I was like, well, no, the 20 grand you were putting away is how much you can put away in a 401k. But there's no limit as to what you can save and, and invest outside of that into anything you want. And it was like, wow, the light bulb just went off and he just kind of shook his head. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And so, yeah, absolutely. You can invest outside of your 401k. In fact, for some of the young people, I would, I would recommend maybe, you know, if you're in your 30s or 40s or early 50s, uh, look into a universal life policy outside of your 401k plan or instead of, you know, always take your free money with a 401k plan, by the right. way. Mm-hmm. If they offer a match for your first 6%, take the match. Above that, you might go, you know, I kind of want to do one of these universal life policies. It gives me coverage to cover my family in case something happens to me. But my intention is to borrow against my future death proceeds in my retirement years, get a monthly check that's income tax-free. And then when I pass away, the policy pays off tax-free also, pays off the loan and any excess goes to my heirs. But I had a a tax-free pension. That sounds really good to me. So yes, there are a lot of different ways that someone can invest outside of a 401k plan. And Brian, I would imagine that it depends upon how many years you are away from retirement as to what tools that you're going to use in your investment portfolio. But you mentioned the universal life policy for someone who is in there, let's say their 40s. Is a universal life policy a good way to go as opposed to or in addition to a term policy? Well, yeah, absolutely. It can be a very good way to go. Uh, term policies, you'll pay into them for a period of time, a term of years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever. And when they're done, they go away. They don't give you any value. So, you know, they're, they're not an investment. They're, they're insurance, right. pure insurance. I'm glad you brought that up because the age matters, that different things matter. Because what frustrates me in this profession is listening to other advisors out there and they claim to be fiduciaries. And I see the one on TV, the big one. Right. Uh, we're fiduciaries. We only get paid more when you get more or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they think that everybody is I don't care if you're 40, you're 70, you're high risk, low risk. Everybody needs to be all in the market all the time. And then you go, you, you answer the, oh, I got invited to Ruth Chris for a steak and I'm going to hear about this super secret special investment strategy that's just annuities. And so I don't care if you're 40, you're 70, you're high risk, low risk, you need annuities. And then you go to the strip mall advisor and you go, mm-hmm. well, 
here's my situation. They go, that doesn't matter because I don't care if you're 40, 70, high risk, low risk. <laughs> you need a 60, 40 stock bond split. Or if you're old, maybe I'm going to mix it up. I'm making a 40 in the stock market and 60 in the bond market. It will be a 40-60 split. You know, that's about as far as it goes. And I, I look at these and I go, wow, everybody's in a cookie cutter. Depending on what you sell, you're selling your cookie cutter. You're all going to be the same. And we don't do that. Every single client has a different mix here because every client has different situations, different cash flow different spending, different age, different health, different risk tolerance, et cetera, et cetera, different underlying assets. They might have rentals. They might not. They might have other things. So inheritances down the road or, or you know, legacy planning can be very different. Two people can have the same amount of money and one's it's going to my kids and grandkids. One's it's going to charities and one's a combo. One's, you know, whatever. And so there's so much that can go on in the planning process that I don't see being done out there very well at all at all. I'm calling out the industry that right. I'm in. And that's one of the reasons I entered the industry from being a full-time CPA, a partner of a CPA firm, to being uh, where I haven't had a billable hour in 15 years in my CPA firm. Still have the CPA firm and right. 20 <laughs> people or so. Sure, We do uh, a lot of tax returns and, and financial statements and so forth. But I, I know that stuff and my staff does. But my focus is now on coordinating the CPA world with the financial advisory world. Yeah, and that's something that's so important. We've talked about it on the program before, Brian. And I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, most financial advisors are not CPAs. They don't even have a CPA in the house. And, you know, they're dealing with CPAs that are outside and that these CPAs are great at doing tax returns. They're looking behind, but really looking ahead and making investments where taxes are considered is so very important. Yeah, you're, you're kind of spot on there because as a CPA, uh, my world was backward looking and uh, planning for taxes going forward. Uh, as a financial advisor, you're forward looking and planning for the future and future cash flow and so forth. Those two need to be coordinated and they generally are, are not. I, I tell the story uh, when I became a registered investment advisor, I'd been a CPA for about 15 years. And I thought to myself, well, how many times have I been consulted by one of my client's financial advisors? And that was an easy number to calculate because the number was zero. Right. I had never, ever gotten a call from one of my client's financial advisors asking about the tax implications of any advice that was given to them. I just It just blows my mind. Mm-hmm. I just didn't even do it. And even if a company has CPA on staff, do they have access to opportunity zones and DSTs and premium finance and structured notes and buffered ETF, you know, all those things I was mentioning? They might even not, not even know what they are because their corporate office says, no, you're going to sell this 60-40 stock bond split. No, you're going to sell this group of stocks. No, you're going to sell the American equity, you know, asset shield annuity. They're told what to do. They, they keep it very simple. They get their message down. They get their seminar down or their advertising down. And, okay, this is what we do. And it's the best for everybody, no matter what. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not accurate. <laughs> but, you know, it's easy to communicate when you've got one message to communicate. My stuff good. Everybody else is bad. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, everything is good in the right situation. Everything is bad bad and the wrong. Right. It's finding out what that right and wrong is for that individual client. And you have to have access. You have to have that inventory of tools, tools in the toolbox, we call it, of all the different investment classes along with the CPA part. So I don't see this being done out there, but that is what what we're uh, doing for our clients. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Our program, of course, is called Growing Your Wealth. We've been discussing the market and the economy and in particular tax planning. And we'll tackle that here in a future segment on the program today. In the meantime, I think that the conversation that we just had illustrates why it is so important to work with a CPA who does comprehensive tax planning. You know, it's just one of the seven roots that sustain wealth. If you want to see how deep your tax planning roots are or your other roots before the next storm hits, then go to madronafinancial.com and click on the button that says get started. When you do, you'll fill out some basic information, and then the staff at Madrona Financial will be able to schedule your rooted wealth analysis so you can see what needs to be addressed before the next storm hits. Once again, it's madronafinancial.com, and click on the Get Started button. Growing Your Wealth will be right back with even more ways to help sustain yourself Tired of only getting wealth, half the story. To come. That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. 
Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about year-end tax planning. And Brian, this is a subject that comes up every year. And it's interesting because a lot of people don't think about tax planning for the coming year until it gets towards the end of the current year that we're in. But really, I mean, it's something that you got to pay attention to 12 months a year is the tax planning. So, uh, Brian, let's get started with what people, if they haven't done anything at this point, what they may want to be cognizant of at this time of the year. Yeah, I mean, tax planning is kind of an interesting thing. A lot of it has to do with situationally. What I mean by that is you might have an event, planning a retirement, you know, a change. If you're just working your job and doing your thing, there's probably not a ton that you're going to do differently as far as tax planning because you really don't have any triggers to change. You don't have any, oh, oh, I can elect to sell this or not sell it this year, or I can elect to retire or not retire. So if you're just working, you know, it's it's a little bit more limited. Now, certainly there's discussions to be had about, you know, where how you're putting money away, how you're investing, if you're maxing out your 401k plan or not. If you are, are you putting the, the right amount into the Roth 401k option? Uh, last segment, I talked about diverting money uh, into a universal life policy if you're the right age and health, et cetera. So I'm not going to say there's nothing you can do, but there there is stuff you can do. But it's especially critical for people um, that are retired, retiring, having life changes, having investment changes, any of those kinds of things, definite uh, opportunity to, to do year-end tax planning. Brian, here we are. I mean, it's almost December. Should you be thinking about tax planning well before this? I mean, there's not a lot of lead time left before the end of the year to make some tax changes. Yeah, don't call us a day after Christmas. <laughs> Probably not. A, you're not going to get anybody to, you know, people are taking time off work and so forth. And so planning is always better earlier rather than later, regardless of what kind of planning we're talking about. But especially tax planning, it is time sensitive. You can't uh, wait till January and say, what should I do for tax planning for last year? Yeah. And well, <laughs> a little late for that. Uh, last year's gone. So we really can't do much. And so the earlier you start, the better. And, you know, it's really just having somebody familiar with your investments and your tax returns. Look at it at least, you know, once a year. Generally, I I recommend people do it after October 15th. CPAs are really busy up until October 15th, the final extended filing deadline, Mm -hmm. before mid-December. That sometime in those two months, they get their stuff out and have the meeting and kind of go over everything to see if there's any opportunities for some tax planning. So I I would say between October 15th and December 15th is probably the best time to do year-end tax planning. Well, Brian, this is a season of giving and a lot of people beyond the gifts that they get for their uh, relatives and for their kids and so forth and their friends. A lot of people think about donating to charity. And, you know, there's the old thing where you gather all your things and take it to goodwill, but many times that does not exceed the standard deduction, which uh, next year is going to be $27,700. So what are some examples of charitable gifting strategies that we can implement this late in the year, or is it too late? Yeah, I'm going to talk about that. Let me me start with your, your comment about standard deduction. So explain what that is. So the standard deduction is 27700 So given that, what the standard deduction is, for those of you that are a little confused about that, and which is, you know, most people are a little bit, we add up all of our itemized deductions. So your mortgage interest and your property taxes, sales tax, your charitable donations, add them up. And let's say they equal $25,000. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, I got 25000 of deductible items to put on my tax return. And you fill out the form and it goes, all right, you can deduct the greater of the 25000 or 27700 And you go, oh, I'll take the 27700 And you go, huh, what if I didn't have any itemized deductions? Well, it wouldn't change the outcome, would it? No. Huh. So I get no benefit from all the charitable deduct, no tax benefit from the donations, property taxes, the sales tax, and the mortgage interest? Yep, that's right. So there is that to consider. Well, let's say that they, they added up to 28000 Well, then you could have had 27700 You only get a $300 additional deduction at your tax bracket. Let's say it's 22%. You know, $66 you get back. Ooh, oh boy, that was, I did all that work and did all that record keeping for $66. Yeah. And so that is something to consider as part of tax planning, that knowing that a lot of people have called me over the years, many, many people, 
I don't want to pay off my mortgage because I don't want to lose a tax. I'm getting a tax break on it, so I, I, you know, I want to keep it for that reason. And I remind him, well, how much is your mortgage? I say, you know, two hundred fifty thousand. What's the interest rate? Four percent. Like, well, that's ten thousand dollars. How about your rest of your stuff? You know, most of the time it doesn't even add up to the standard deduction. Right. Standard deduction is high because the IRS just doesn't want to deal with all the itemized deduction forms, frankly. And so they keep jacking that up so they don't have to deal with. You know, in the old days, everybody kept every receipt. I remember you'd, oh, yeah. you'd do a tax term for someone, they bring in a, a, a grocery bag full of, yeah. of receipts from Bartels, drugs. Sure. And, oh, I got this, I got that. I mean, oh, oh, I remember that. They'd bring in all their sales tax receipts. Oh, my oh, gosh. Yeah, kill me now. <laughs> and and uh, you'd be going through these bags of receipts going, I, That's I, crazy. why am I a CPA again? I, yeah. That is not what I went to university for. <laughs> no. And so, yeah, it was. Now that the standard deduction is high, we, we don't even do that. And of course, they limited medical deductions and unreimbursed employee business expenses and a lot of things we used to have to just yeah. grind over. That simplified things a lot as far as preparing tax returns. So, if you do have those receipts, not that you should throw them in the trash can, keep them, add them up. But again, the standard deduction, $27,700. And don't give those receipts to your tax preparer, Brian, because, I mean, just add them up. I, you know, with my tax preparer, I simply uh, give her the total of uh, all of the things in different categories. She greatly appreciates that. But for the most part, we do go with the standard deductions. Brian, you were talking about marginal income tax rates. Now, they have changed a little bit this year, haven't they? Yeah, because of inflation, they're they're going up. You can uh, earn more and pay at the lower bracket before you start paying at a higher bracket. Again, just to be clear on marginal brackets, let's say that the first 110,000 a married couple earns, I'm just throwing a number out there, it's close but not accurate. Uh, first 110,000, your max tax bracket is 12%. So every dollar you made mm-hmm. in your 80,000, 90,000, 100,000, 110,000 was at 12%. Then you go into the next bracket, it's 22%. And let's say you have $1,000 in that 22% bracket. That did not make all of your taxable income 22%. Mm-hmm. It just meant that the 1000 that's in that bracket is taxed at 22%. Right. Why is that important? Well, if we do a Roth conversion or have an additional income item, that will be taxed at 22%. If you have a deduction, you'll get it taken off at 22%. But let's say that deduction goes into the next lower tax bracket. So some of it might be at 22 and some at 12. So marginal tax bracket is important when you're thinking about changes, things under your control. If it's your wage, you don't have control over that. You know, you're going to earn what you earn and be taxed accordingly. But if you're doing things that are optional, uh, maybe selling, thinking about selling something, doing a Roth conversion, deciding between a Roth 401k or a non-Roth 401k, you know, these, these different things where you have a choice. That's where it's important. And where it really gets important is when somebody retires, because often there's a couple of years there before things kick in, whether it's pension, social security, annuities, whatever. Whatever it is, you might be in the low tax bracket, the lowest bracket you're going to be in the rest of your life. Those are a great opportunity to take advantage of marginal income tax brackets. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial about marginal tax brackets and about tax planning towards the end of the year. Brian, again, this is, and I want to reiterate this, why it's so important to have a CPA and an advisor taking a look at your tax return. I mean, you're sort of a 1040 detective being a CPA. You can take a look at a tax form and find things that other people just don't see. Absolutely. And, and all my advisors can do that. Even the ones that aren't CPAs, they're aware of these situations and they can uh, go to our staff here, the CPA staff, and say, run me some what ifs. Uh, the other day, Matt came to me, one of my advisors, mm-hmm. and uh, just a, a really interesting case because he identified an opportunity. But uh, Matt identified a situation where somebody just retired. As I mentioned, the Social Security hadn't kicked in. They didn't have wages. They didn't have uh, their annuity hadn't kicked in yet. We were were holding off on that because they had other assets to pull from. And they had some potential capital gains. And we were able to, there's a funny thing in the tax code with marginal brackets. If your ordinary marginal bracket isn't very high, then you can trigger capital gains at the 0% bracket to a point. And so he was able to go, all right, we've got some capital gains we're going to trigger. They're going to pay 0% on that. And we're going to move the income with a Roth conversion as high as we can while retaining the 0% bracket. 
Now, he didn't run the calculations. Uh, maybe Stella did. Maybe Amber did. Uh, you know, one of our staff did on the CPA side. Mm-hmm. But he knew to figure that out. He, he knew the opportunity. And so he had the resources. We all have those resources. I don't run those calculations. I've been a CPA longer than anybody on my staff. <laughs> I don't run those calculations. I just need to identify it and say, all right, uh, here's a situation. Stella, can you run the calculations to tell me what's the max we can move to obtain our objective? And she'll run that on our, our super strong tax program and do some what-if scenarios, and we can uh, nail it down to that. So I was really proud of Matt for coming up with that super yeah. awesome solution. And client was thrilled. I mean, obviously, well, you mean I can have taxable income at 0% bracket? Sign me up, you know. <laughs> no one else is going to tell them that. So I, I thought that was a really cool solution. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial. Our show is called Growing Your Wealth. Glad you could join us again this week. Let's say that taxes do go up in the future and you were able to identify what to do now so that your future tax bills were not as large. Well, when that time comes, can you imagine sitting down for breakfast, hearing the news, discussing that tax changes are coming your way and you look across the table and you look to your spouse and you say, aren't you glad we planned for this years ago? Well, if you want to be that person who's able to say that, go on madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button to get your rooted wealth analysis. It is one of the pillars of the seven steps to a successful retirement. Once again, it's madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. Want more strategies that can help support the quality of life you want for 30 plus years? Well, stick around. We'll be right back with more Growing Your Wealth. Big trees fall when storms hit because they don't have deep enough roots. The same goes with your finances. Your quality of life depends on how deep your financial roots are today, tomorrow, and for years to come. If you want to learn how to design your retirement to last 30 plus years, then grab your copy of 7 Steps to a Successful Retirement by calling Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more of Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we'll be talking about the solvency of Social Security. And Brian, for those who have made plans to be around and collecting Social Security 11 years from now, I guess that would be around 2034. That is the date when Social Security is projected to have its benefits reduced by about 23% because of the complete hollowing out of the trust fund that had been built since 1935. So should we really be alarmed, those of us who plan to be around in 2034, or do you really think there's going to be a fix to that? And if you do think there's going to be a fix to it, what would it be? Yeah, so the situation is that we have been building up, essentially, a Social Security trust fund because there's been more workers putting into the the system for years and years, think baby boomers, than there were people taking out, think the the greatest generation, they call it, right? uh, the ones older. And so that was going along just fine, plugging along. But they can do projections, and the projection is, all right, we have this big bank account, but next year we're going to have more people taking out because baby boomers are starting to retire, more money being taken out than being put in. So it's going to start dissipating the trust fund. That trust fund is currently calculated to be exhausted in the year 2034, plus or minus a year or two, of course. That got uh, moved down because, you know, one of the things I I recall uh, our president bragging about how, hey, I just helped us get the highest increase in Social Security benefits in forever, or a lot of 40 years or whatever it was. Right. Not something to brag about, in my opinion. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Helping exacerbate inflation so the Social Security can go up. All that means is that trust fund, you know, that's a permanent increase, right? Mm -hmm. All that means is that trust fund goes away quicker. That's not something I'd brag about necessarily. Nope. Uh, So (laughs) I'm not a politician, though, and I would never be one, and I'd never get elected. But that is not something to brag about. So the money will start drawing from the fund the savings account, essentially, next year, I guess, and it will be gone. Now, in the year, let's say it is the year 2034, which is the estimate right now for Social Security. We'll talk about Medicare in a moment, but uh, let's say that's the case. Then if nothing was done, yes, we are projected uh, right now. It's about, you know, 100% of what we collect is 100% of what we pay. And next year we'll be paying out a couple percent of what is collected. But by the year 2034, when the savings account runs out, essentially, the trust fund, 
will be about 23% underwater. Now, normal government programs just borrow, you know, let's just add to the national debt then. Let's just borrow a few trillion more every year and call it good. This is a separate program. So there are no assets to borrow against. They can't just float bonds and, and borrow money to fund Social Security. It has to run a balanced budget. And so if nothing was done, I'm not saying this will happen, but if nothing was done, we would expect to see a 23% decrease in your Social Security benefits all at once in the year 2034. Okay, so you said if nothing was done, but that's really not going to happen. What are some of the things that you think or that are projected to happen in order for us to not have that 23% reduction in 2034? Right. If you ask politicians today... And 2034 is not that far away. No, it's 11 years, right. And so, you know, you ask politicians today, and they're like, oh, you know, this party wants to cut your Social Security. I'll never let that happen. Really? Where do you propose to make the money come from then if nothing is done? Okay, well, you'll be out of office and retired on a government pension while everybody gets a 23% cut in Mm -hmm. their Social Security benefits all at once permanently. Uh, That's not a great solution. So at some point politicians are going to have to tell the truth and own up the fact that we have a problem and not just say what sounds good to get votes. I'll never cut Social Security. Yes, you will. If, if you have any sense at all, you absolutely will cut Social Security. You will have to cut it in some way, shape, or form. Now, one way to cut the expenses is to raise the retirement age. Mm-hmm. So it is probably highly likely that uh, you know, some of the suggestions are raising normal retirement age again from it was at one point, I think, 65. Then now it's it's been uh, inching up uh, for me at 67. Right. And for somebody 15 years younger than me, I'm going to guess it's going to be 70. Yep. So it's going to be age 70 before they get full retirement benefits. And right now someone can take it at 62. What I believe will happen, another component of this, is they'll go, yeah. You can only have it at 62 if you're disabled. But if you're not disabled, early retirement's going to be 67 or 65, something like that. That early retirement will have to go up commensurate with normal retirement and max benefits. So right now, early retirement, you know, you can do it at 62, full retirement at 67, max benefits at age 70. Well, what if we jacked all three of those three years? Right. Early retirement, 65. Normal retirement, 70. Max retirement, 73. Mm -hmm. I absolutely could see that happening. So, Brian, beyond that, what are some of the other things that they might do in order to avoid Social Security being depleted? I mean, getting 77% of your check in 2034. Well, there's a lot of things they can do. Right now, we pay 6.2% payroll tax, and the employer matches it for Social Security, and a 1.45% tax for Medicare matched by your employer also. And so, obviously, those rates could go up. But if you don't want to raise those rates, uh, one of the things that's popular with a lot of voting block is to raise the cap. So right now, up to your first 147000 of of annual earned income, you pay your share of Social Security and Medicare tax. Above that, you don't pay additionally because they say, you know, in the past, they said, well, you're already paying your fair share. Well, Fair share to a politician is how much money do you have? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I want it. That's your fair share. (laughs) And that's something I I believe anyway. I actually put this out on Facebook once for my more liberal friends trying to answer the question. Uh Um, I keep hearing I'm not paying my fair share. Tell me what my fair share is. I just want to know. Right. And, oh, this, that, and the other, and Trump this, and Trump. I I didn't ask you about Trump. I didn't ask you about what's my fair share. Is it 40%, 50%, 70%, 100%? Just tell me what it is so mm-hmm. I know. Well, you know, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to not cover this? And do you want to, I didn't, I didn't say what I want to spend it on. What's my fair share? I left it up there for about a month. I got zero responses. Yeah. Well, I got a lot of responses. I got zero what my fair share percentage is. <laughs> yeah. And I was real clear. I just want a percentage. Just tell me what it is. So yeah, I know sure, rules. sure. Yeah. When Bernie Sanders or, or Elizabeth Warren gets up there and says, nobody's paying their fair share. Tell me what it is. Mm-hmm. I just want to know. I, I couldn't get that. So fair share to me is it's how much money do you have? Because in the end, that's what they're saying to me. It's like as much money as we can get from you and maintain stay in power. I mean, okay, well, uh, at least say it. <laughs> they don't say it by the soapbox there. But one of the things that 
can be done is, is they'll just raise that and say they'll take the caps off on Social Security. Right now they're off on Medicare already. So mm-hmm. they're, already, they're already tipped their hat on that. So no matter how much you make, now you know, on earned income you'll be subject to that tax. Another thing that was proposed by Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders is that they would levy this tax on unearned income. We want the Social Security and Medicare tax on investment and business income and everything. So again, huge tax increases for a subset of the population, uh, which will trickle down because it always does in prices, in inflation. We just saw this. I mean, and, and, you know, more money is out there, you, you got and more tax, and it trickles down, and prices go up, you have inflation, the Fed has to raise interest rates, our economy goes into a standstill, a recession, uh, people lose their jobs, bad things happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I would not put Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders <laughs> in charge of anything that has a dollar sign in front of it, because they have no concept yeah. of economics, I, in my opinion. They, they absolutely do not. Brian, you caught my interest with unearned income. Does that mean that if you have stock and it goes up in value, even if you do not take that profit, that they want to tax that? Not yet. But guess what? Once we pass it on unearned income, we go, you know, why don't we tax capital gains the same way? Yeah, exactly. We already have Governor Inslee saying, you know, why don't we tax capital gains? Well, because income taxes are not part of our state constitution. Yeah, but if I call it something different and I lie about what it is, can't I just tax it? (laughs) Yeah. And so he tried that, and luckily the court said, no, you're just making this up. Right. And he's still pushing it through. So I'm like, well, again, once a politician can figure out how to get money from somebody, they're mm-hmm. going to try. Yeah. And you give an inch, of, oh, you know, if we don't ever pass a state income tax, then, oh, it's just going to be 1%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's going to be California rates for you know oh, yeah. once you get the foot in the door. So yeah. once they start taxing something other than earned income, oh, look out. Everything's going to be taxed, Social Security, Medicare, yeah. and so forth. And then it's a snowball effect, too. Like California, people are fleeing California to other states where it's more tax-friendly. I see a lot of people moving to states as, you know, such as Florida and Tennessee and those tax-free states like that. And the same thing could happen to Washington. We have certainly a lot of big businesses there that pay taxes. And I want to point out, too, that Madrona Financial and CPAs pays more than its fair share of taxes, as far as I'm concerned. And the other thing people tend to forget is that you employ a lot of people. I mean, what is rich? Well, I want you to be rich, Brian, if that's <laughs> what it takes, because you've got a lot of paychecks that you pay every month. And there are a lot of people who depend on putting food on the table, the roof over their head from employers such as yourself. So anyway, that's my little soapbox there. I rarely pull it out, but I did want to make that clear to the people listening to us today. And I'm sure that that will resonate with our business owners. We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. We've been talking about Social Security. I want to talk about Medicare in the next uh, segment, Brian, along those same lines. But in the meantime, I want to remind people, if you are wondering how deep your financial roots are and whether or not they can survive this financial storm that we're in right now, go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button to get your rooted wealth analysis. Just a couple of questions. It won't take any time at all to answer those questions. You will schedule a call to find out how deep your financial roots are and get some help to deepen them if they're not deep enough. Once again, it's madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. Stay tuned for more Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show you can't afford to miss. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And in this segment, we're talking about Medicare and the solvency of it and then segue into the NASDAQ. That's right, Brian. And in the past segment, of course, we talked about Social Security. And it occurs to me that Medicare is a government program as well, too. So many people over the age of 65, actually, I would say the vast majority of people over the age of 65 take advantage of Medicare. It is automatic. It is free. That is Part A. But then you've got Part B as well, too. And it really does cover a lot. It is a great affordable program for Americans. But as you said, it is in danger of running out as well, too. Can you explain more about that? 
Yeah, the Medicare and Medicaid, I mean, you think about it, uh, all the baby boomers that were paying into it all those years, the trust fund built up, and now it's being, it's going to start getting depleted. Medicare is actually going to be depleted quicker than Social Security mm. if nothing is done to change. It will be depleted as soon as five years from now. Wow. Uh, five, six years. 2028 is the projection right now. Oh. And at that point, it's in a little bit better shape as far as income relative to expected expenditure in that uh, with Social Security, we mentioned it was about 20, you know, there's going to be an excess of 20% decrease of benefits if nothing is done, 23% to be exact. With Medicare, it's projected to be 10% short in 2028 and declining from there more slowly than Social Security, but still declining from there. And again, you can't, they're not an entity that has assets to borrow against, so they can't just float a bond like the government does. So we have to figure out some way to solve it. Now, demand for Medicare is going to go up, up, up. Uh, baby boomers, what, 10,000 a day are retiring? Right. And turning 65, I assume. And getting into the program, uh, Medicaid is the long term care option for people without a lot of assets. So as baby boomers age out, Medicaid will have a big demand for long-term care because people can't afford long-term care. They don't have any money. Sure. And so there's going to be a lot of demand on these programs, and they do not have the funding to cover them in the years ahead currently. And Medicare is such an important program. So many people depend on it. We don't want to see that go away or even reduce. So what are some of the ideas that have been floated by politicians, or have they, to fix the Medicare program? Well, as you mentioned in the last segment, we talked about raising the, well, they've already raised the payroll limit on that to unlimited. And so that's already been done. Certainly, you can't just raise the age. So you got a problem there. Right. Um, with Social Security, you can just raise the age. Mm-hmm. And that buys you a bunch of time. And so I'm going to guess they're going to have to raise the rate. I, I'm running out of variables here. I could change, you know, Medicare from age 65 to a later year. But that, that would not be very politically. No, uh, <laughs> absolutely you know, not. Uh, Good. And and so since they can't increase the payroll limits, they can't change the age. I, I, yeah, again, I, I have to assume that the only thing they can do is change the rate. Mm-hmm. So instead of 2.9% between the employer and employee, they might have to go to, you know, they'll just have to raise that to cover the, the deficits. That, to me, I guess, would be how they're going to have to do it. Well, if they raise it from 2.9, let's say to 3.1, and then also there are premiums that people pay for their Part B and, you know, their uh, G, which is going to be their supplement, and their D, which is their drug card. If they raise those, I mean, that could buy us a little bit of time. Do you think that Medicare is something that is maybe in front of Social Security as far as uh, fixing it in the politicians' minds? No, it's not in their minds uh, because it's so unpopular to say you're going to raise taxes or cut benefits. Well, it's a reality that you're going to have to, I would think, right? Or no? Absolutely, you're going to have to. And But no one wants to talk about it. So it's one of those <laughs> things where it's just right around the corner. It's, un- un- and <laughs> it's just it's unimaginable to, to yeah. ignore it yeah. Uh, yeah. as long as they have, but they're going to have to do something. That's interesting. Well, we hope that Medicare is uh, here for those people listening to us, as well as Social Security. But as you said, it may not be the way that we have always known it to be. There are there have to be some changes in order for us to have it in the future. So if there are a few tax increases, I would say do not complain about that because we want Medicare and we want Social Security. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Our program is called Growing Your Wealth. Glad you could join us again this week. Brian, let's pivot a little bit to the NASDAQ. We're about a year from the NASDAQ 100 index closing at an all-time high, but really there's no sign that this index is heading back to those heights anytime soon. Yeah, I feel like I, I kind of want to talk about the NASDAQ because we hear about the NASDAQ and a lot of, a lot of people don't know what it is. It's uh, essentially another stock exchange. you got the New York Stock Exchange, which is more of the blue chip stocks from the old days and so forth. And then along came these technology companies. And the New York Stock Exchange had rules to be on their exchange. You had to be around for, I don't even know what the rules were, let's just say 20 years. And you had to have, you know, 10 years of profits in a row and blah, blah, blah. And you had all these companies coming along, like Amazon. You know, they didn't make a profit forever. Uh, they they were new, or Google, or Microsoft, Apple, and they couldn't be on the exchange because they weren't long-term uh, blue chip stocks. And so they had to go to their a different exchange. And so they found this little exchange called the Nasdaq, and they went on that. And before long, any new tech company, any new technology, any new anything 
decided, well, Tesla, you know, to name one, said, well, we can't get on the New York Stock Exchange. They're too stodgy. We're going to go to the NASDAQ. Mm -hmm. So the NASDAQ became this massive exchange. And so when you hear on the radio, well, the Dow did X, nobody cares about the Dow too much because that's 30 stocks. That's all it is. The S&P did X. Well, that one does matter. That's 500 stocks. And then the NASDAQ did Y. And that's, you know, the NASDAQ has, you know, hundreds of stocks on it. But they're primarily, uh, it's very tech heavy. Right. And so I, I, w- I would say that about the NASDAQ. And I, I think the technology companies account for at least half of the value of the NASDAQ. But it scares me a little bit because I'm hearing about all these technology companies like, you know, Meta, which is Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. And they're laying off people. I mean, does this have a great effect on what's going to be happening with the NASDAQ here in the near distant future? Well, yeah. If we look historically, now markets move quickly nowadays because I think computer trading and and so forth uh, more than they used to in the old days. But some of the the things I would would point out is back during the dot-com era, we had a crash and it took a lot of years to recover from that, from its high. It took literally 15 years, you know, and then we had another, you know, drop in 2008. We had the different drops and it took a long time. It doesn't take as long anymore. However, I think that now that we have so many tech companies that are so entrenched in our everyday lives, to think that they're going to grow at the growth rates they used to where they deserve the really high valuations that they're even trading at now, even after their drop, is quite a stretch. You know, they're just... It's one thing for a small Tesla five years ago to grow dramatically. It's another thing for the Amazons and Teslas of today to double, triple, quadruple in a short period of time. They're just too big. It's hard to do. I'm not saying they can't, but it'd be uh, very hard to do. So expectations about where we've been, much like the bond market. The bond market was great for 30, 40 years because interest rates are falling. Not so great then, certainly not in 2022. So you might have to rethink that. You might want to consider looking at the NASDAQ to say, is this where I really want to be mm-hmm. going forward? It's been great. You know, any graph will show that is where you wanted your money. Right. But maybe it's not where you want it going forward. Well, even after the bounce this month, Brian, I mean, the NASDAQ 100 is still down 29% from its record close. And this bear market in tech stocks, I mean, it's shaping up to be the longest that a lot of younger investors have ever seen. Do you think that this is going to curb people's appetite or should it curb people's appetite for risk for years to come? Well, I think just I wanted to bring it up because I do not have a crystal ball. You don't? However, uh, not at I all. I left I one there for you in the drawer, no? <laughs> no, no. I, I pulled it out once, but it slipped out of my hands and cracked. <laughs> it broke, okay. When it hit the ground, I'll I picked you it up. One. I I can't see in the future anymore. <laughs> okay. But, you know, one of the, the – I just wanted to point out a lot of people, maybe their 401K was put into the technology shares, the QQQ, the NASDAQ, whatever – and they've seen a big drop, and they're thinking, wow, I just lost almost a third of my money. Is that okay? And and maybe it's not. And for years and years, people have been piling money into you know technology shares, and they've been rewarded for it, of course. But now they might be thinking again. I remember years and years ago before the NASDAQ took off, it was all about dividend-paying stocks. Mm-hmm. And blue chip stocks, that's where you wanted to be. I mean, you wanted a company that was paying you a nice dividend that wasn't so volatile. And then the tech companies took over and it's like, wait a second, you know. Even Warren Buffett is like, I, I'm not buying those companies. I don't understand them. And he was all blue chip and high dividend paying stocks, value stocks, we call them. And so there is a lot of people in the industry that are starting to move towards value stocks. So I'm not saying one is better than the other. I do not know uh, going forward. However, Knowing what you're in is a good step in your process of where you should be and then knowing where you want to be and then being able to make any changes you think. Uh, I did want to mention the top 10 holdings in the NASDAQ. Okay. Uh, They are Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google Class C, Google Class A, which would actually make them bigger than Amazon, Tesla, NVIDIA, Pepsi, Meta, Facebook right. and Costco. So that's your top 10 in the the NASDAQ. And so you think, well, guys, those are great companies. Uh, let, me, let me name a few more. The next 10, Broadcom, Cisco, T-Mobile, Texas Instruments, Adobe, Damjam, yeah. yeah. Comcast, Honeywell, Netflix, oh. Qualcomm, Intel, Advanced Micro Devices, Starbucks. Oh, 
into it, automate uh, ADP, Gilead Sciences, PayPal. I mean, you look at that list and go, wow, what a superstar list of companies. And they are. Yeah. Not in 2022. Really? <laughs> Their average is down about 29%, <laughs> as you mentioned, Jeff. Some of them are down more than 50 of the, on that list of awesome companies I just read. So no company <laughs> is awesome at every price. And one of the things I, I mentioned to somebody, they'll say, oh, I will always buy XYZ company. Yeah. I say, oh, okay, would you buy it at 50 times earnings? They go, yep. Oh, okay, how about 100 times? Okay, how about 1,000 times earnings? I mean, well, that's stupid. I'm like, no. <laughs> you just said you'd buy it at any price. Yeah, I would. right. What if it's trading at 1,000 times earnings? Well, of course I wouldn't buy that. Well, wait, okay. So now we have to qualify. What are they trading at? What multiples? What What is their growth of earnings projected versus other companies that are out there or other types of investments? So just know that, you know, this is a very volatile area of the market full of awesome companies. So, you know, we've got an interesting uh, issue here when we're buying uh, awesome companies. Well, these awesome companies don't pay a lot of dividends. These awesome companies are trading at very high multiples. And these awesome companies are very volatile in an inflationary environment where foreign countries maybe aren't buying as many of their products and goods and services and recessions hit and people don't need maybe what they have, whereas they need blue chip stock products and services and, and so forth more. So it just adds a layer of complexity. So just just know, you know, what the NASDAQ is, how it fits in your portfolio and how much you want of that particular part of the market in your portfolio. And Brian, I chuckled a few minutes ago when you were naming off those companies because I don't know what I would do without Netflix and Starbucks. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That that is my life at this point in time. Well, yeah, you got your Apple phone, you're on your Microsoft uh, computer, you're ordering your stuff through Amazon, you Google different things, uh, Alphabet. uh, I mean, mean, just that is the fabric of of what we're using. But again, we've seen them drop close to 30% in 2022. Makes no sense. Well, inflation uh, right. was not uh, the friend of the NASDAQ. No. Well, as you said, Brian, your uh, crystal ball, you dropped it and cracked it there a little bit. So, you know, we really can't predict the future at Madrona because we don't have that crystal ball. But we do know that if your financial roots, so to speak, are deep enough, the storms just aren't as scary. If you want to see how deep your financial roots really are, how well prepared you are for a 30-plus year retirement, go to madronafinancial.com, click on the button that says Get Started. When you do, You'll fill out some basic information. Once submitted, you'll be able to schedule a call to get your personalized results and review your rooted wealth analysis. Once again, madronafinancial.com. Click on the Get Started button. Brian, we just get started here and we're out of time. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Thanks for listening to us. Get out. Have a great weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth radio show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency, and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including assets, Asset allocation or diversification guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.